African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. It is the African Perspective. We're right here on shortwave service into the continent on 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. In South Africa, we're on DSTV on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. Uh, not only in South Africa, I'm sure that we're also reachable in neighboring countries as well. Zimbabwe, I'm not sure. Maybe Lesotho, Botswana. I'm not sure if we are on those DSTV audio bouquets. But if you're listening to us from those particular countries, thank you for joining us us and uh, thank you for listening to us uh, especially if you're outside the continent i know we have listeners listening to our, us from outside uh, you listening to us on www.channelafrica.co.za well you know there used to be a time where we used to think of bono as the rescue of the continent and uh, we used to have this uh, uh, rock star back in the day and uh, him embracing nelson mandela and him arranging these uh, aid concerts it's uh, uh, for us poor Africans. And now it's changed. And the face of philanthropy has become uh, the face of Bill Gates. Bill Gates has become the man of the moment where we see him in, in his Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation becoming the face of African uh, philanthropy. But that's also changing a little bit currently, whereby you're seeing also new entrepreneurs, the new uh, millionaires on the African continent taking a role and saying, hey, we're not going to let the Western powers determine how we actually uh, function in the work of philanthropy. We're also going to be actually pioneering our own new way in terms of philanthropic projects. Last month, an elite network of the big philanthropic givers, the Giving Pledge, announced that it gained more than new members uh, to advance their causes, which many uh, initiatives are taking place on the African continent. However, as I mentioned, despite the reality of philanthropic projects, supported by billionaires from abroad. There's a new growing trend of community-based projects that are pioneered by local uh, business people that are now being born from grassroots levels and are paving a new way of coming up uh, with solutions to local challenges. Well, we've got Sheila Gastro. It's uh, fantastic. I've been wanting to speak to her for a long time. I just uh, haven't spoken to her. Uh, it's my first time here, so I'm excited to speak to her. She's the director of Gastro Block uh, Philanthropies and I as also have Jenny Hodgson, who is an executive director at Global Fund for Community Foundations. I want to start with you, Sheila, in terms of, of looking at what we're talking about when we're speaking about philanthropy. Where does this idea of philanthropy come from? I was speaking to um, a professor yesterday from, the, from UCT, and he was saying that uh, when it comes to philanthropy, we must make a distinction between philanthropy and aid. And sometimes we get those two very much confused, Sheila. Thank you very much, and good morning. Um, philanthropy has a very long history, um, and it goes back centuries. Um, and I think most countries in the world have some kind of history of philanthropy, whether it's through their churches or their religious um, communities. There's been a lot of giving, giving back. 
the concept of charity. In the Muslim community, you have the similar concept, and the same in the Jewish community, for example. But what's happened recently is a kind of professionalization of giving. And it's moved away from charity to philanthropic giving, which looks more systemically at problematic issues. There's a huge difference between foreign aid, which is from foreign countries or international aid agencies, and philanthropy. So if you're looking at foreign aid, that money is given to further the political agendas of the, of the donor countries. It's not given for altruistic reasons or because they want to be kind mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. It has a very clear link to their foreign policy objectives. So I don't think we could put them in the same position. Sure, sure. Um, and I always say to people who accept money from foreign governments, you have to be aware then that your agenda should dovetail with theirs. And don't be surprised if things go wrong because this is not about... Um, somebody being passionate about a particular cause, whereas philanthropy is far more individually driven. Well, let me bring you, Jenny, into this conversation in terms of uh, how different this philanthropy looks today. It's packaged newly. It's almost like a profession of its own. It's an industry. You can call it that because it is very much growing in terms of how seriously people are taking the work of philanthropy. Sure, uh, and good morning. Um, uh, Sheila's quite right that philanthropy has become increasingly um, recognized and professionalized uh, in recent years in continents such as Africa. And I think it's part of a global trend across the global south in what used to be called developing and are now increasingly middle-income countries where you have people uh, with wealth uh, wanting to formalize their giving. But I think um, it's important to factor in aid into this conversation because a lot of large philanthropic institutions behave on the recipient end. It makes no difference whether you're getting money from an aid donor or a philanthropy. There's a tendency sometimes for these institutions to also be quite top-down and rigid in how they apply funding. So I think the interesting dynamic that we're starting to see um, across Africa is the, starting, is the emergence of what one might consider a blending of more vertical forms of giving, so from big donors of different kinds, alongside these more horizontal community-based types of giving, which have always existed in Africa and around the world, the way poor people have tended at a community level to help each other, provide mm -hmm. solidarity, pool resources. And so the, the sort of emergence of a blending of these forms, uh, local giving, which is often highly trust-based, alongside larger amounts of money which are perhaps being given in the forms of grants and other supports from this emerging philanthropic sector. Well, also, in terms of uh, that move, I want to bring that back to you, Sheila, in terms of how common is it right now in terms of that new move that you're starting to see that Jenny is talking about, where we're seeing a new pioneering of a community-based form of projects that are really pioneered by uh, local initiatives or local business people or not even only local business people, but ideas coming from a local level and a grassroots level? I think it is a new movement. Hmm. Um, and certainly, if I look at it from um, the philanthropic foundations which have been established in South Africa, 
which comes from wealth, people are starting to look at what they call community assets and trying to mm. see how they can engage with what local communities are putting together. So you're Shelly, starting to Shelly, see tell us a little bit. Sorry to cut you off there. I'm sorry. But what are you meaning when you talk about community assets? Because that's the first time I hear that particular phrase. Okay, so they, they will look at a community and see what is actually happening in the community, uh-huh. how the schools are functioning, how the community itself is organized, um, and even sort of um, natural capital, I suppose, what water is available, what's, what... Um, ground is available, they, they look far more at a kind of holistic view of communities that uh, they partner with. Hmm. And so you're getting a, a situation where you have far more engagement with the communities rather than someone patronizingly coming along and saying, you know what, I'll help you fix your school. But looking at what the community brings to that as well. And I think that the reason that's happening is this the whole issue of sustainability because it's one thing to come in and, let's say, build a school in a community, but it has to be owned by that community in order for the school to be sustained, that, you know, it's maintained, that they ensure the quality of the teachers. The community themselves are responsible for that. So you'll, you'll see more of philanthropic funding going in into partnerships in that way rather than sort of just parachuting in and... and putting in a project and then leaving. Mm. Well, I want to take a quick break. I think it was a great introduction to this conversation with Sheila Gastro, is the director of uh, Gastro Block Philanthropies, written a lot of pieces in terms of unpacking the South African context and also looking at some international trends. I've been following some of her uh, writings for a while now, from Daily Maverick to uh, Thought Leaders. She's written a, a lot of ish, uh, topics on this issue of a philanthropy. And also we've got Jenny uh, Hodgson, who is is uh, the executive director at Global Fund for Community Foundations. And I want to unpack that community element a little bit later. Uh, We will be joined by Melvin Chibol, who's joining us from Kenya, from the KCDF's communication. And uh, he is a knowledge management uh, manager there. So we'll speak to Melvin a little bit later to really uh, find out what's happening in Kenya in terms of the initiatives there. Let's take a quick break. Do you think that philanthropy is the answer? One of the solutions to poverty reductions or uh, giving solutions to the African continent when it comes to some of our challenges. At Channel Africa One is our Twitter handle or at African Dialogue. want to hear your thoughts. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspectives. That's it. You're listening to Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. Thank you for joining me, Benjamin Mushatama. From Monday to Thursday, we bring you experts looking at the uh, big topics on the African continent and looking at something that has a, a big trend on the African continent, maybe not as big as news items, but definitely there is a move in terms of philanthropy. It's something that's been happening for a long time, but there seems to be shifts in terms of approaches of philanthropy on the African continent, as was highlighted 
highlighted by Sheila Gastro. They're highlighting a very uh, interesting term, the community uh, assets, that how can people utilize already the resources within communities to further ad- ad- advance the projects uh, on various communities and where actually communities are driving the agenda in- instead of a top-down approach. Jenny, in terms of the international trend, uh, because I still see that uh, uh, international donors are still interested in terms of making contributions on the African continent. I know before it has been criticized in terms of uh, some people who are very pessimistic towards a philanthropy saying, hey, we don't want international donors telling what telling us Africans what we need and how we need to implement projects. We want them to come in and speak to us first and find out what the real challenges and what we think the solutions are. You know, this cry, do you think it's something that the international community or the international donors or philanthropists have heard and have they changed their approaches of how they embark on philanthropic projects? It's a very interesting question. I think the world is rapidly changing right now. We're starting to see diminishing flows of international aid Mm. to countries in the global south or increasingly tied up with their own trading interests. Uh, and I think so everyone is left scratching their heads a little bit saying how much how come so much development aid has gone into a continent such as Africa for so long with really so little to show for it and I think there are many aspects of it one is the high levels of accountability back to the taxpayers in those countries that the money's coming from perhaps at a cost of actual communities uh, whether aid is actually accountable to communities itself and also the sense of, of disempowerment that sometimes external resources can create at a community level. So I think we're at a very interesting moment where a number of donors, both philanthropic and more formal um, official development donors, are starting to think, how can they use their resources to catalyze what already exists on the ground rather than to displace it? And then the role of philanthropy really becomes an act Um, less of just the wealthy giving to the less well-off, but really an act of sort of democratic participation. If you suddenly give to a project as a member of a community, you care much more about what that project looks like. You feel like you have a stake. And this idea of starting to unlock local resources and count local resources so that it increases a sense of ownership at a community level, I think is increasingly important. Mm. We see it really as a a strategy for shifting power so that those on the receiving end of aid or philanthropy actually become actors and stakeholders in the process. And I would add one more thing, which is I think it's important to understand that philanthropy is not a substitute for government funding. And what we start to see is that when communities start to organize themselves and organize their resources, it actually strengthens their ability to negotiate with government and with other actors, whether they're international or domestic, coming into their communities with money and a plan. So there is something very much around flattening some of the power dynamics and recognizing local assets and local ideas, which I think it's important to to factor into this conversation. Let's move the conversation on to Kenya. We joined from Nairobi by Melvin Achibole. He is from the Kenya Community Development Foundation, which hosted a two-day conference in Nairobi themed durable development, shifting the power, uh, building community resilience. And uh, it was actually uh, really 
put together really to look at some of these issues of how do we actually really take hold of uh, the initiatives and expertise in community philanthropy and ensure that they are exploited in a in a way that is uh, a people-centric. Thank you, uh, Melvin, for giving us your time. And uh, tell us a little bit about uh, this uh, uh, gathering that uh, took place. Uh, it seems very interesting. How did it go and what were the conversations that took place in this gathering? Oh, okay, thank you very much again for the opportunity. So um, what we had, the conference that we had was a two-day conference, which brought about 300 leaders and activists from a cross-section of organizations, not just in Kenya, but globally. Mm. So the conversation we were having about durable development and shifting the power, Benny had, uh, has alluded to, was not a beginning. It's something that has been happening. It's a convening that has happened earlier. And it was just exploring how best can both the practitioners, that is the development organizations like ourselves, how can we start putting communities at the center of their own development? So the issue of us acting as an agency is increasingly uh, slowing down. And we are saying that if communities, if we can build the mindset that communities actually have the resources for them to implement whatever projects they want with very minimal or with very small support from outside, mm. then we see that as a more durable way of them addressing the issues. Remember, again, they know from time immemorial, communities have their own ways of handling things. For instance, let's break down the, the term philanthropy. Perhaps in different um, countries, we have a similar coining to the word. For, for Kenya, it's harambe, which means pulling together. Whether it's um, raising resources for a funeral or raising resources to take one of our children to school, it's something that has already been there. But we are now shifting that and saying, can we be more organized in terms of us putting our resources together to address a common problem within the community? But because of, again, the mindset that mm. we have to depend on people from outside to come and solve our issue, that um, psyche of bringing resources together has sort of been eroded. Mm. Mm. So what we are simply trying to do with community is to tell them, okay, look, these are the resources that you can raise, whether in cash or in kind. Pull them together. Let people have a stake in the game by them contributing and ensuring that the project actually is, is, is a success once it's done. Then that brings also the aspect of accountability. So basically what we are trying to do is bring together communities as well as practitioners and tell them this is what is happening globally. Mm. There is a shift in terms of... Um, for instance, for Kenya, we, we've now been rated as, as, a, as a second one. Mm, mm, mm. We are not still an, uh, we are still not a, we are not now a third a third one as it were. Mm, what mm. that means is that most international organisations and multilateral organisations, such as USAID and, and the DC, will now look at us as, a, as playing at a slightly higher level. Mm. But in truth and in spirit, is that really the case? Because we still have communities that are lagging behind, they do not have access to education, they do not have access to basic things mm, like mm, water. Mm, mm. But you know, because of that mm. status, yeah. It's, it's, sure, it's very interesting, Melva, that you highlight those dynamics. And I want to bring them back to Sheila in terms of her views. Because the, the historical um, reference to philanthropy has always been 
a form of elitism, people who have large amounts of money and can afford to actually embark on the philanthropic journey. And now you're seeing this trend that is highlighted both by Jenny and Melville, where people are trust, trying to redefine this philanthropy and saying it's not just an, an, a foreign elite. But my question to you, Shina, is the fact that does this uh, community-based new form of philanthropy that everyone is embarking on uh, war against the conventional forms of philanthropy that come from uh, uh, the moneyed minorities? I think they. I think the two are going to be probably functioning together. Okay. Um, when one looks at traditional philanthropy, you know, where you have money people setting up, institutionalizing their giving into some kind of foundation, sometimes they're alive. Sometimes those happen after they've died, and they put their assets into a foundation that other people run. And they usually these foundations, the guidance that is. Um, is put into their founding documents usually reflect the interests of the people who, whose money it is. Mm. Um, so if you have someone who's, let's say, wants to save the rhino, that's what's going to go into that foundation. And they, the trustees or whoever's running it are not going to be able to put it into community development. And I think we have to understand that. This money is post-tax money. People can do with it whatever they like. Mm, mm. What we are finding, though, is that people are taking um, far, putting far more attention into how effective the money is, and they're professionalizing it. And in the process, they talk about ethics, and they talk about values, and they talk uh, about accountability. Mm. And there's a realization that you can't impose ideas on the communities in which you're working. And so I think we're going to see probably a kind of blended model mm. where you'll still have the entity with the money, but building far more coherent relationships with the partners that they fund. But at the same time, asking on both sides for levels of accountability. Now, I work a lot with nonprofits mm. on their financial sustainability. Mm. And my number one message to them always is get away from the begging paradigm and understand when you engage in a partnership with a philanthropist, you are offering them an opportunity to do something they cannot do on their own. Mm, sure. And I think there's an understanding in philanthropy now that the money is one thing, but the people doing the work are those on the ground and that there is a dependency both ways in some respects. So I think there's a sort of a greater understanding about that, but I can't, I don't, I really don't see a future where you're not, you're going to have mm -hmm. one without the other. Mm. I think it's a very healthy development that um, people start, that philanthropists start working with communities. Mm. The other thing I just want to say, some of the very big international foundations, I, I've been having a battle in my own mind about whether they are still philanthropic or not. Sure. Because the people who put the money into those foundations are long dead. And they become these giant bureaucracies, international bureaucracies that make grants. And in some ways, then, they function in a, in a kind of um, corporate way. Mm. And the kind of professionalism they often expect from their grantees with, you know, um, detailed reporting, detailed measurements, um, log frames, are very often not the kind of things that people in communities can, 
can supply. And so you get a skewing of the money going into professional nonprofits or NGOs, mm. and very often the community um, organizations missing the boat. And I think it's something we have to realistically look at, is the level of professionalism required to accept money. Mm. Melville, your thoughts on what has been said so far? Melville, are you still there with me? Yes. Just, just repeat the question. I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to know, in terms of this uh, professionalization of philanthropic work, is are we not uh, over uh, compensating? Are we not making it too much of an industry? Isn't that uh, where we're going to actually make it kind of turn into an industry by itself and privatize even uh, the work itself, whereby it becomes, uh, if the function itself becomes elite in itself? You know what I mean in terms of community-based projects are usually driven by the community themselves. But when you start professionalizing them too much, then you start creating a form of expertise out of it instead of it being kind of uh, having that community spirit that it's intended to have. Okay. Um, from where I see it, and I, I, would, I would like to believe that also where KCDF um, draws its perspective, but for philanthropy to work, Yes, you can get all the support from either the high net worth individuals, but to us, sustainability comes from communities themselves knowing the resources that they have among themselves. And we've, we've tried this. We have programs that we've gone to a particular community and told them that, okay, we are willing to match whatever you raise. And the communities will disappear for six months because they're not used to being told to raise money from among their own constituents. But once it sinks to them that they actually have resources and we, we create a capacity enhancement or just showing them that these are the resources that you can get among us, among us, the communities and the members from that particular locality. They come back to us and they say, okay, we are willing to try. Then we take them through a process of just either if it's resource mobilization or profiling themselves and they come back to us and within six months they come to us and they say, perhaps we have these one million shillings and we match. But to us, that is not, it's actually not just about the money. It's the mind, it's the mind, the mind shift that has happened. So to us, we look at development and poverty is multifaceted. So seeing which areas can communities start taking slowly, first by raising resources, even be, before they, begi they begin developing assets, because they first need to deal with the emergencies, they still need to do the basics, before they can put together some resources to say that these are assets that can, can be used in perpetuity. So the role of civil society going forward is just work with communities to raise their consciousness that they can address these issues. So for us, it's just the technical bits of it. Let's ask KCDF, we don't even call ourselves a grant maker because we believe grant making is, is a delivery method. It's not an entity in itself. Mm -hmm. Once communities are able to draw the resources from themselves and have confidence that they can solve these issues, then our our job as development practitioners becomes very minimal, if at all bureaucratic. Mm. You know, 
I'm asking this question because I was reading a piece in the Mail and Guardian titled The Rise of African Philanthropy by Mangoba Ngmalo, who, who quotes an interesting view from a sustainability researcher, a guy by the name of Glenn Ashton. And, and Glenn, there's a point where he says modern philanthropy is little more than the illegitimate privatization of state planning, aid and redistributive uh, policies. And philanthropo uh, capitalism is a misleading smokescreen for business as usual. Uh, Jenny, that's a pessimistic view. But what is your thoughts on on that kind of scrutinization of on, on philanthropy? Because sometimes it can take on that type of nature. Oh, I agree. I mean, I think one has to be very realistic that not all philanthropy is necessarily good. I think the fact that we have more and more private foundations emerging globally is also a sign of the deepening inequality that we're seeing globally as well. Mm-hmm. So one could see um, philanthropy as unchecked power in some ways. In fact, there was an article in the New York Times last week uh, exa- asking exactly that, does Bill Gates have too much power, that we should have vested in governments that are democratically elected. So I think in any case where there's a concentration of power and wealth, one needs to be aware. But I think there are strategies, um, you know, philanthropy means love of humankind. It's an empathetic, I am because you are Ubuntu kind of thing. Mm. And so how one starts to blend together these more democratic um, uh, models where everybody gives a shilling or a rand and, and that's participation with some of these external resources that can build on that local agency, I think is really, really important because we know that often what, what is lacking at a community level, is, as Melvin has said, has been a mindset, is a mindset shift, but also a lack of trust. And so the idea that resources are tied up in unaccountable institutions, I think, is something one should be aware of. So in a sense, private philanthropy also needs to be, it needs the kind of community aspect, the participatory angle, in order for it to be sort of valid and credible. Um, you know, the word philanthropy inspires very conflicting emotions mm. amongst people who think either that it's an excellent thing or a very dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. And so in a sense, we're, we're talking about walking a line which um, is about unlocking private resources for public good, understanding that there's a role for the state, but also looking at ways that power needn't be consolidated in institutions. So things like um, asking communities to put in matching funding so that they become co-investors, asking community members to be involved in deciding how resources are allocated. There's some pretty interesting practices that are happening around there, out there, which are deliberately about shifting and sharing power and growing trust between parts of perhaps the community or society that are a little bit weak or fragmented currently. Mm. Well, I'm going to take a quick break and then we are going to wrap it up. I know that I promise that we'll have wrapped it up already, but just in in the next three minutes or so, we'll wrap up the conversation. Great, great thoughts coming from our guests there. We've got Jenny Hodgson, who is uh, the Executive Director at Global Fund for Community Foundations. Melbourne Chibola joins us uh, from Nairobi. He is joining us uh, from the Kenya Community Development uh, Foundation. He's the Communications and Knowledge Management Manager there, and uh, also Sheila 
Gastro is the director of Gastro Block Philanthropies, giving us her insights. We're going to wrap it up after the break. Uh, let's take a quick break. Remember, interact with us on our social media at uh, Channel Africa One, the numeric one there, at Channel Africa One or at African Dialogue. We want to hear your thoughts and become more part of the Channel Africa family. We're also on a Twitter uh, at Channel Africa and uh, we're also on Facebook rather. Our Facebook page is Channel Africa, simply that Channel Africa. That's the name of our page. Let's take a quick break and we're going to wrap it up with our guests. Change Your Game is a program dedicated to SMEs and entrepreneurs on the African continent. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg, South Africa. It is a weekly entrepreneurial program that targets entrepreneurs, especially young entrepreneurs on the African continent. Before we even, you know, talk about the journey, please tell me what an entrepreneurologist is. <laughs> well, that's a question that I get um, everywhere I go. Catches every Friday at 1000 hours Central African time and Saturday at 1300 hours Central African time. Change your game, empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. Well, uh, yes, you're listening to Channel Africa, www.channelafrica.co.za. That is our uh, online uh, platform. You can also find us on uh, our Twitter handle at Channel Africa One or at African Dialogue. And uh, you can also uh, find our Facebook page, Channel Africa, and engage with us more today. We're asking the question, where is uh, philanthropy going on the African continent? And uh, let's wrap it up uh, uh, with our guest, Shela. In terms of uh, what we've already highlighted, you and our other guests have highlighted very strongly the fact that we live in an environment where funding is becoming very constrained. There, there is a survival mode, especially when it comes to uh, the humanitarian space overall. So how do actually we pursue this philanthropic work in this very, very financially constrained environment? You know, it's always interesting because when you get a vacuum, stuff falls, that's, that's you know, science. And what I've been noticing on the continent is growing um, local philanthropy, business people um, realizing that they have a role to play in their own context. So you're starting to see families, you know, family businesses, both big and small, starting to think seriously about, often it's a business, and they might call it corporate social investment, but because it's a family-owned business, it's also family money and you're starting to see the growth of philanthropic giving that is local it's not the same size as Bill Gates by any means Mm -hmm. but I find it a very healthy development because although it's philanthropic those families live in the same context as those communities where the money is going so there's far more personal relationship and far more commitment to the success of those projects And I think it's something that is starting to grow. I've been quite fascinated watching Mm -hmm. how that vacuum is starting to fill up um, within local businesses and local money. Well, that's a fantastic trend. Jenny, your thoughts as, as we're about to wrap it up. Yeah, I mean, I think this has to be the way forward. Um, I I still think that, um, 
you know, many countries in the global north or the west still owe Africa historic debt, and part of it is to help, uh, I would say, to use external resources to start growing this robust, um, trusted, effective philanthropic sector, which is both of uh, people with individual wealth and their families, but also looking at communities and how communities have assets and can grow and build those assets. Hmm. Let me give you the final word, Melvin, you the man of the hour, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, there are constraints, there are limitations, but as highlighted both by Jenny Gestra saying community uh, initiatives are the way to go. But let's not forget big money here because big money is still required to ensure that we fill the bigger gaps within the problems and solutions, especially when it comes to environments such as the ITC sectors where we need that bridge and investment in technologies, and also infrastructure, we still need the big guns, don't we, Melvin? Definitely. We still need the big guns. But again, we just, the orientation should always be um, whatever they bring on board is not to change our priorities okay. as, as the South. Sure. It's for us to determine our destiny and knowing that this is just assistance that is short-term, but we still need to develop um, mechanisms of us supporting ourselves um, in whichever way we would want in terms of development.